You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We open Holy Scripture this afternoon to Hebrews chapter 11 and also chapter 12, the first part. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith Abraham even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham... When God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. Figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, 
when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let us turn to our confession then in Lord's Day 7 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Here we confess... Are all men then saved by Christ just as they perished through Adam? No, only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all His benefits. What is true faith? True faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in His Word. At the same time, it is a firm confidence that not only to others but also to me, 
God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation out of mere grace only for the sake of Christ's merits. This faith the Holy Spirit works in my heart by the gospel. What then must a Christian believe? All that is promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith teach us in a summary, and then follows the Apostles' Creed, which we sang earlier. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know. Whatever. Who's to say? Sometimes the mundane expressions that we use daily, like these, the ones that we sometimes don't even think about, are more profound than we realize. Now when we're choosing what color shirt to purchase or wear, or what flavor of ice cream to buy at the beach, it probably doesn't matter so much. But when these expressions become common currency in spiritual matters, then we're in trouble. Whatever. I don't know. When we talk that way about spiritual matters, about divine truth, God has revealed to us in His Word, then we're using the language of skepticism, agnosticism. Skepticism or agnosticism is the idea that you can't know anything for sure. And this way of thinking is in. As someone has said, absolute truth is regarded as a disease and the cure apparently is to suspend judgment. I don't know. The only thing that we can accept as certain truth is that there is no such thing as certain truth. well-known Christian apologist has put it this way, Never before has skepticism had such a brilliant halo around its head. There is a glory about not knowing. A high premium is placed on the absence of conviction and open-mindedness has become synonymous with intellectual sophistication. At the beginning of his much-talked-about book, The Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown declares, all descriptions of artwork, architecture, documents, and secret rituals in this novel are accurate. Big letters, beginning of the book. While among the documents that Brown handles is the Bible. And Brown makes all kinds of outrageous and wild assertions about the Bible which simply do not stand up to the evidence. Now why is it, we might ask, why is it that this book has become such a bestseller even though it contains many bald-faced lies? Well, no one would deny likely that Dan Brown is a good writer. He is. The reason, brothers and sisters, the reason I believe that Dan Brown and his books have received so much attention and have become so popular 
It's because in an I don't know culture, it really doesn't matter if you claim as fact something that is a bald-faced lie. For if everything is whatever, then fact and fiction are all the same. Then truth and falsehood are allowed to bleed together into whatever pattern is most fashionable at the given time. Brothers and sisters, this is the culture that we live in. Often called postmodern culture. And that's why we need to reaffirm our knowledge of Christ. We need to know Christ. And that's why true faith is necessary. True faith frees us from the empty philosophy of, I don't know, by teaching us the knowledge of Christ. And this knowledge, as the, catech- as the catechism describes it, is a sure knowledge. True faith is a sure knowledge. Answer 21. Like we read in Hebrews 11, verse 1, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. As an older translation puts it, which many of us might still be familiar with, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The true faith of which the Bible speaks is not a shot in the dark. True faith is not our best guess in a sea of multiple choices. True faith is not our heroic attempt to crack a secret code like Robert and Sophie or to open an obscure cryptex. True faith is a sure knowledge that is available to everyone who believes. Now it's true that people don't like it when we say that the faith we possess is the true faith. We can hear people asking, now are you Christians saying that you have the monopoly on the truth? People generally don't object when we say that we have faith in God. They don't even mind if we say that we believe in Jesus Christ. It's fine if you want to believe that. As far as most people are concerned, we can place our faith in whatever. But as soon as we claim that the Christian faith is the only true faith, then we're charged with bigotry. And that's why we say it the way we do here in Lord's Day 7. True faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in His Word. We claim to possess the truth not because it's our truth, but because it is God's truth. With Jesus, we say to the Father, with Jesus in John 17, we say to the Father, Your Word is truth. 
with Paul. In 2 Timothy 3, we acknowledge that we know the truth because it comes from God's mouth. It is God-breathed. In Psalm 93, as we sang, we say, Thy word is sure. In Thy decrees we trust. As we know this, not because it's our truth, but because it's God's truth. Now this being said, it's still important that we don't self-righteously look down on those who do not possess true faith. That danger is quite real for us, isn't it? The danger that we look around us and ask, why, why don't people get it? I mean, shouldn't it be obvious to everyone that, that God created the world? Especially this time of the year when we can all be outside, when we can look at the beautiful mountains, when we can enjoy the sunshine, when we can see all the marvelous beauty of, of creation. Shouldn't it be obvious to everyone that God created the world? Can't people figure out that aborting fetuses is killing? Can't people see that homosexual behavior is unnatural, not to mention disgusting? Of course, we acknowledge all these things are true. Paul himself says it in Romans 1. It's clear that God has created the world. We know without a doubt that abortion is killing, that it is murder. We know from the Bible that homosexual behavior is unnatural and that it is a sin. But then, when we talk about these things, do we do so in a self-righteous way? Do we think, how could a person not believe it? How could anyone not see it? Speak this way is really to expose how puffed we are, how puffed up we are in our knowledge and how little we actually know Christ. For true faith isn't simply an intellectual sort of knowing that everyone and anyone can acquire if they would just use their brains and if they would just have a little common sense. No, brothers and sisters, the knowledge of faith that is taught us in the Scriptures is a personal sort of knowing that people can only acquire if it is given to them. For notice what the Catechism says in the first answer of Lord's Day 7, following Scripture. Does it say, only those are saved who use their intellectual powers? Only those are saved who are clear-headed? Is that what it says? Does it say, does Scripture say, only those are saved who have a little common sense and use it? No. The Catechism says, following Scripture, only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all His benefits. Grafting, that excludes any merit on our part. As Paul teaches in Romans 11, a dead branch cannot 
graft or attach itself into a tree on its own. Someone has to take that dead branch and attach it to the tree. And where does that branch get its new life? From itself? No, it gets it from the tree to which it is attached. Like Paul says to us in Romans 11 where he compares us to such engrafted branches, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You see, brothers and sisters, the only reason we know Christ is because God has attached us to Him by faith. The only reason we know Christ is because God has attached us to Him, has grafted us into Him through faith. You know what Paul says in Ephesians 2. Faith is a gift. We know Christ because God has given us this knowledge. So all our boasting is excluded. So we've seen that true faith is a sure knowledge. We know for sure that everything God has told us in His Word is true. We've also seen that true faith is a sure knowledge that must be given to us. We don't possess this sure knowledge because we're superior, because we're wiser or smarter or more intellectual. The only reason we possess this faith is because it's been given to us out of grace by God, even though we don't deserve it any more than anyone else. But there's something more. True faith is also a sure knowledge that comes to us in a person. And that person as you know, brothers and sisters, is Christ. True faith isn't just a matter of embracing absolute truth. True faith is all about embracing truth in a person. True faith is all about embracing Jesus Christ. Faith isn't a commodity. Faith isn't a thing. Yet, how often don't we treat it that way? We say or think things like, I wish I had more faith. We mean by that, I wish I had a bigger supply of faith. As if it's something like sugar. Or, we say things like, if only my faith was stronger. And then we become disillusioned and depressed. Perhaps the reason for this is that we so easily forget that true faith isn't, it's not this thing. True faith is a relationship with God in Christ. That's what faith is. Faith is our connection to God. True faith certainly includes knowing. But our faith isn't first of all about how much we know. True faith is first of all about 
who we know. Jesus. True faith isn't just about understanding all kinds of biblical and doctrinal facts. True faith isn't just about being able to grasp truths and eternal realities with our minds. True faith is about knowing God in Christ. True faith is all about walking with God. Now, who of us would deny that doctrine, that truth, and so on, are not important? I should say, who, who of us would deny that doctrine, tr- truth, and so on are important? Brothers and sisters, unless they help us, and un- unless they serve and strengthen our relationship with God and His Son, they do us no good. What good is it to know lots about the Bible? Lots about the creeds and confessions if we don't know God. Remember what we read in Hebrews 11 about Enoch. Read in Hebrews 11 verse 5, By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death he could not be found because God had taken him away. For he was, before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Now, what is it about Enoch that we all remember? What is it about Enoch that made him pleasing to God? He walked with God as we know from Genesis 5. Faith wasn't just an idea for Enoch. It wasn't just a thing for him. Faith was a relationship for Enoch. By faith, Enoch walked with God. Noah is another one mentioned in Hebrews 11 as a man who lived by faith. He too is described as a righteous man who walked with God in Genesis 6 verse 9. In this perspective, it's clear that the sure knowledge of true faith isn't, isn't simply a bare and empty intellectual knowledge. It's a personal knowledge. It's knowledge that comes to us in a person. Well then, the question arises, how do I know if I have true faith? Well, brothers and sisters, one thing is for sure. You don't have to go on your own search with Robert and Sophie for the Holy Grail. You don't need to take a long trip inward. Brothers and sisters, all you need to do 
to possess true faith is look to Christ, your Savior, and you'll be saved. You need to get to know Him through the Word. You need to embrace Him, Jesus Christ, as God reveals Him to you in the Bible. And then you also need to listen to Him when He speaks to you through His Word. Then you will have true faith. So we might put it this way. You know that you have true faith when God speaks and you listen. That's why even a little child can have true faith, as Jesus makes clear in in the Gospels. When God speaks, they listen. What God tells them through their parents or minister or teacher, they believe. And that's why it's so important for us to teach them when they're young, when they are all ears, when they are listening. Yes, even those church members who are mentally challenged can have true faith. Who of us doesn't know or at least know of such people? No, they don't have all their intellectual and mental faculties. But when God speaks, they're all ears. And when God speaks, they believe. When we have true faith, then we will listen. We will listen to Christ. We will listen to God. And we will listen trustingly. That's what the catechism means when it speaks of true faith as a firm confidence. Scripture blasts away the idea that the absence of conviction is good and that the only thing we can be certain about is that there is no such thing as certain truth. Scripture blasts that whole notion away. Scripture tells us that there's a glory not in not knowing. Scripture tells us that there's a glory in knowing for sure even the things that we can't, even the things that we don't see with our eyes. Scripture tells us that there's a glory in knowing. Simply. Because we've heard it from God's mouth. There's a glory in knowing. Because God has spoken. We're listening. Scripture tells us that there's a a glory in the conviction. There's a glory in the firm confidence that God's Word is true. No matter what anyone else says. We've, We've already mentioned Enoch and Noah from Hebrews 11. Abraham is another example that God gives us here in Hebrews 11. In verse 8, By faith, Abraham, when called to go a place he would later later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. 
Abraham didn't know all the details. He didn't know everything the future held for him if he went. We understand that in those days to uproot your whole family and to move to a different land was extremely dangerous. Anyone who did that was taking a huge risk. Yet, when God spoke, Abraham listened. And he listened trustingly. Abraham didn't know all the details, but what God, what God promised Abraham believed. When God spoke, yes, even when, when God told him to sacrifice his one and only son Isaac, he listened. He said yes. He believed. He was confident that God would keep His promise. By faith, even though it seemed beforehand a strange thing to do, the Israelites marched around Jericho for seven days, as we read in Hebrews 11. The people in the city must have thought they were crazy. There they go again. And again. What does the Scripture tell tell us? By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. God spoke. They listened. God spoke. They obeyed. God spoke. They believed. They were confident that God would do what He had promised. Brothers and sisters, God has also spoken to you through His Word. God has spoken to you in Christ. And you can be confident that what Christ has done, He's also done for you. That's what He promised you when you were baptized. That's what He promises to you every time you celebrate the Lord's Supper. Believe what He's promised you. Believe Him. Come to know Him better. And as you do that, day in, day out, just stop and think about all the others around you in this I-don't-know world. There's a note of somberness in Lord's Day 7, isn't there? Are all men then saved by Christ just as they perished through Adam? And the answer is no. Not everyone is saved. All the more reason for us to continue being busy with evangelizing and mission so that those who don't know will know what they need to know. And yes, brothers and sisters, all the more reason for us to make our calling and election sure. As Peter says, 
all the more reason for us. As Paul says, to examine ourselves and to see whether we are indeed in the faith. Indeed, Christ is God's answer to humanity's I don't know. Christ. He's the answer. Christ. He is God's yes. When all the world can say is whatever, God says in Christ, yes, it's true. You can count on it. May God keep us all close to Christ and through us help others get to know Him. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.